The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. we got a great show lined up for you tonight. We're going to be talking with Bill Donahue about demons and their place in the human world. Now, Bill is an author. He's written books, including a new one called Burn Beautiful Soul. Uh, we'll talk to him all about uh, his position and his ideas about demons, his personal experiences, plus his books. And uh, we'll have a great time doing it as we learn more as uh, about demons tonight. Tomorrow night, we've got Cleet Keith here to talk about the ghosts of Greystone. He's written a book about a notoriously haunted place. And we'll talk about it tomorrow night with him. And then Thursday, Kitsy Duncan, who hosts a program called The Oddity Files, will be with us to talk about that program and her experience as well. Friday, most likely a booze, bruise, and bros. Looking forward to this. I need to talk a little bit about uh, this monolith in Utah. Has anybody been following this story? It just appeared as if by magic. It was a 10-foot-tall stainless steel structure, 10 feet tall, in a very secluded spot in the Utah desert. It was noticed at first by some pilots. They went down, they checked it out, and they uh, determined they couldn't figure out where the heck this thing came from. And, of course, alien enthusiasts and UFO enthusiasts started to come up with theories. And then, just as mysteriously as it appeared, it disappeared a few nights ago. Just vanished. Well, it turns out it did not just vanish. Uh, there is a photographer that came forward that was at the monolith about... Uh, it was about 9 p.m., uh, a couple nights ago, whatever night it was that it disappeared. And he told the story of what he saw and included pictures. Four men pulled up, jumped off of ATV, said, this thing is litter, it's got to go, basically. Pushed it over, took it down, dismantled it, threw it onto uh, the beds of their ATVs and took off. And then later they tried to contact the photographer and ask him for the uh, photographs. Now, these guys are saying that it was public land. That thing didn't belong there. I happen to think these are the guys that put it there. And there was no, you know, they weren't doing this out of uh, some kind of service to public duty because uh, they felt it was litter and it was marring the beautiful landscape of uh, the Utah desert. I think they put it there and they got caught taking it out. Uh, But either way, it was a fascinating story. And what makes it even more interesting is that in Romania, of all places, another one of these very strange monoliths has just suddenly appeared. Now, these are either copycat monolith erectors, or or they are there's some kind of coordinated effort effort here. I don't know. It's an interesting story, nonetheless, and we'll continue to take a look at it and see what we find out. I, I just need you to subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to us on uh, on YouTube and on Twitch. Both channels can be found by searching for J.V. Johnson. I want to say something, and this will probably work against me in some fashion. But most of you have heard me talk lightly about politics. And, you know, I touch on some of these topics because I believe it's important that we have these discussions, but I try to refrain from any real political discussions on, the, on this program. But one thing that has happened here on YouTube... Uh, is that once, and I, I can only attribute it to the fact that, well, one of two things. Let me, let me say this. It was, it's either been because I have brought politics into a few of the discussions, or it has been because we've had people on the program that have had contrary views to what the, what the public 
uh, orthodoxy is, particularly when it comes to the pandemic, right? We've had people on the show that have talked about uh, errors in the ways of some of this public policy, which I think, again, is great discussion. We need to have these conversations. But whatever it is, whether it's my political discussions or references or it is the guests that we've had, a few of them, something has happened on YouTube where they have throttled the reach of the program significantly. We used to get about 150 new subscribers a month. That's how many people would come into the subscriber numbers. That number for the last 28 days is two people. Now, two people... uh, you know, I, I could see a drop off, you know, that could happen, but for it to be go from about 150 average to two tells me that we've been somehow shadow banned or throttled or something by YouTube because of one of those two things that I mentioned. Now, saying this tonight probably will add to that, but at this point, I don't really care because this is ab- absolutely ridiculous. This censorship, this effort to stifle legitimate conversations is absolutely unacceptable. And I think people need to start uh, letting their, their feelings known. I think people start to either need to either start looking for an alternative source, and I have been looking for an alternative source to broadcast and host videos on, or people need to, and I'll say both, and people need to start letting uh, YouTube know in whatever way possible that it's unacceptable. I don't care if you agree with the position or not. I don't care if you think that somebody we have on this program is crazy because of their opinion. I don't, it doesn't, I don't care. The, the, the fact is they have the right to say it. We have the right to talk about it. And we have the right to let other people who want to hear it, hear it. So these, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about having, you know, seeing some very dangerous trends in uh, American society as it relates to what big tech is doing in their effort to stifle uh, dissenting opinions, stifle conversations, and it's it's not healthy. It's not healthy for anyone. So be aware of it. Be thinking about it. But that's not the topic of our conversation. As I said, we're going to be talking with Bill Donahue tonight. He's a writer. He's written a book called Burn Beautiful Soul. We're going to be talking about demons and their place in the human world tonight. That's Beyond Reality, and we will be right back. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark. Because you deserve to save too. Become a Shark and save. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Thank you. Boy, just more technical oddities going on tonight. Not sure why all this stuff starts to happen at the same time. It seems as though these all these individual pieces of technology somehow communicate with each other. And I'm not even talking about computers. I'm talking about my mixing board versus my workstation computer versus the stream computer versus my microphone versus the microphone processor. It's like 
I don't know if you get a, if a power surge comes through and it makes everything a little funky, or if they're actually secretly conspiring uh, against me, which I my paranoid self might start to think. Um, but we're not going to be paranoid tonight. We're going to have a great conversation. Looking forward to this one. Bill Donahue is our guest tonight. Bill is an author. Or he's a writer. Uh, we're going to be talking about demons. His new book just out recently is called Burn Beautiful Soul. Bill, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's such an honor to have you on tonight. JB, a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You notice that thing I just said where, like, technology, like, it's not just one thing that goes weird on a given night. It's like seven things go weird on a given night. And these can be seven unrelated pieces of equipment, but it's just like these gremlins get into things and they like say, okay, ready? One, two, three, go. And then everything messes up. It's the gremlins. I think you're, you're absolutely onto it. So let's talk a little bit about you. I was reading um, up on, you know, some of your, your history, your experiences here. You've done a lot of pretty interesting things um, that really don't have anything to do specifically with writing, but are kind of curious unto themselves, uh, and I won't even uh, point them all out, but one of the things that really stuck out to me is, what's this horror punk icon stuff? Uh, that sounds really cool to me. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, so when I was growing up, uh, like a lot of a lot of people, I, I had some um, some stupid ideas about what I wanted to do when I grew up, and none of them were realistic <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. So uh, I was in a band for about uh, five or six years. Uh, we... We played a lot of shows, um, mostly on the East Coast, and uh, I grew up loving the Misfits and stuff like that. So, you know, our first show, we all we all dressed up in our you know our, our doom makeup, and uh, I always wanted to be Glenn Danzig in a way. Um, it didn't work out that way, but the band is actually that was thirty years ago when we started that. Uh, the band is still alive and kicking today. Just one of the same uh, same members, but uh, yeah. So that was always something I wanted to do. I just I thought I would uh, I would be a musician my whole life. Uh, didn't work out that way, but uh, that was that was the dream. Yeah, I, I had that same dream. Uh, through college i was in a college band we you know got some praise here and there uh decided to write some music and try to make a go of it after college and it uh, it took me about six months six months to realize that as much as i loved playing i didn't want it to be something that i had to starve for (laughs) and i decided to get into some other work but anyway i i feel that passion i understand what you're saying so how do these experiences come together throughout the course of your life that uh i'm trying to remember some of the other things on that list but there are pretty cool things um something to do with a hockey team and and some other things how does that all come together to make you at some point decide you're going to start writing and being a writer (laughs) <laughs> great question. So yeah, on that list too, at first I thought I was going to be a Catholic priest oh, wow. uh, for some reason. So I think uh, just growing up in a community, there was just one priest in our community. He was uh, he was very cool, and I liked the idea of uh, someone being that close and connected and just someone very respected. And uh, like I said, I, I was not realistic at all in, in what I wanted to do with my life. Um, at first uh, I was thought I'd be a professional wrestler, then a hockey player, um, and you said the horror punk, hunk, horror punk, horror punk icon as well. So those are things that I tried uh, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I was probably most successful with the musician end of things, um, but that was a long time ago. So uh, I had grand expectations for what I wanted to do. thought I'd be driving, uh, I would be a ninja and driving a Lamborghini by That's now. That's right, the ninja, that, yeah. <laughs> that, of course, hasn't uh, lined up either, but, uh, you know, you, you can't blame me for trying, right? No, in fact, I think, and I, and I hesitate to use, to put it this way, but I think you'll understand my meaning. It's these dead ends in life that teach us so much and help us ultimately find the path uh, to success or to the 
path to fulfillment in some way or another. Um, if without those other dead ends in our lives, these you know those kind of roadblocks that we hit, we wouldn't turn around and find that other direction. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it probably has something to do with with imagination. I assume uh, I, I imagine myself doing these crazy, stupid things, and uh, that that helped in, in fiction in some way, shape, or form. Well, that's the other part of this. Uh, each one of those things gives you an, uh, uh, you know a, a broader depth in your experience in life and understanding of the world around us. And I imagine that has to help you, particularly when you're writing fiction. Sure thing. Sure thing. So yeah, it's l- helped. Yeah, I, before we get into uh, talking about demons, and then and we'll get we're going to get back to talking about the book. But I want to start just by getting a sense of what uh, "Burn Beautiful Soul" is. Now, th- it was recently released, right? It's only been out for a little while. Yeah, November sixteenth, so uh, just a few weeks old at this point. So, uh, give us a you know kind of a brief description about what what we're talking about here. Sure thing. Again, like you said, it's a novel. It's uh, it's about I guess we'll call him a demon a demon king, and he lives in a place that uh, most of us would think of as as hell, fire, fire everywhere, kind of uh, a monstrous, monstrous creature in every shadow. This really terrible world with no mercy, just lots of bad things. So his name is Basil. He's the that's the main character. He's the demon king, and he's you know he's he's as a demon king, he's done terrible things. He's let terrible things kind of happen in his name. But he kind of hates the things that he's done and, and hates where he lives, so he wants something else, and, and he believes he belongs someplace else. So he goes and looks for it, and he finds it uh, by basically ascending to the surface and, and living among humans as a demon. A lot of people uh, use the word demon differently. Um, I think there's probably a lot of definitions to that word. How is your use of the word demon here in describing this story that you have written? Uh, how, is, how, how are you positioning the word demon? What, what is a demon in this book? So I'll start by, you're exactly right. So most of us really think of demons, I think, as these non-corporeal entities that you can't really see or touch. And that, that is, that's an absolutely terrifying thing. Um, for, for this demon, for, for Basil and the, the race of, of people that he leads, uh, they are very much uh, flesh and blood, cold blood for that matter. They're, so he's eight foot tall, cold black reptilian skin, massive horns, cloven hooves, uh, the whole get up. So he's a physical being. Um, he's not quite immortal, um, but um, so he, he's different, I, I think, than what you would see from like a, like a Pazuzu in The Exorcist or something like that. Now, I'm looking at the cover of the book, and I see a demon figure there. It's kind of an upside-down demon figure on the cover, but is that kind of representative of what we're talking about? Yes. You know, um, as we've talked about demons on this program many, many times, mostly in a paranormal sense, and a lot of times we have paranormal investigators that will go into a haunted home or a reportedly haunted home, and on occasion, they'll say, oh, this is a demonic possession. But I'm not so sure they completely understand what that word is. But it ultimately boils down to them saying, well, it's an inhuman spirit. Uh, these are things that never walk the earth. These are, these are, 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 are not inhuman entities on the other side that are really there to drain your life's energy and for nothing but nefarious purposes. Is that your understanding of a demon? Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like for pretty much every culture uh, has some definition of a demon or a demon-like character. So something like, uh, you know, the jinn in Islam or, um, you know, the haints from the traditions right. of like the Gullah Geechee in the, in the American South. 
Um, or, you know, for that matter, you know, Jesus in the Bible, confronting Jesus in the Jesus confronting demons in the Bible. Um, but yeah, you're right. It seems like it's always this this thing that has never walked the earth, and it's it's either to cause pain or drain some kind of life force, or you know, if, uh, depending on your religious bent, to kind of keep you separated from God. Well, and that's that's another important point you bring up. Is there necessarily a religious component to this when we talk about demons? I think that depends on your belief system, uh, and I guess it depends on whether or not you believe these things actually exist. I don't think that uh, religion has to be part of that. Uh, I think if you look at the world, there's uh, there's so much evil in the world, um, whether that comes from just humans themselves or there's some kind of uh, you know malevolent force behind that, who knows. But uh, I think the, the religion thing is, is maybe something that, that we assign to it. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's probably something that we'll never know and, until... Uh, until we die, or, or maybe not even after that. So, I look at your your resume, your list of experiences, and I don't see demon hunter on there, right uh, per se. So, how did you become interested in this particular particular topic? I mean, you don't necessarily wake up one day and say, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna I want to learn about and write about demons." Right. So, I have been alternately fascinated with and and terrified by dark things since I was a kid. Um, I'm in my late 40s now, and probably like a lot of people my age, I grew up watching horror films and listening to thrash metal and horror punk and stuff like that. I think that's where the seed took root. Um, I think I'm still scarred by some of those early horror films. But it's something I've always had this really intense interest in, and and again, in the same breath, always been kind of, uh, kind of scared by. So I, I have always found myself drawn to, I'll, I'll call them kind of darker things. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say... I. I'm certainly not a demon hunter or a ghost hunter or anything like that, but uh, where I live on, on the outskirts of Philadelphia, uh, in Bucks County in particular, there's a lot of uh, paranormal locations or locations that have had paranormal activity. So I grew up going to those places and just kind of being an observer and, and seeing what I can see. Um, I am still have an interest in it, but um, I, I, the opportunity doesn't, doesn't arise all that often anymore. So, have you had, have you generally had an interest in in the paranormal from since childhood? Yes. Yeah, that I remember when I was a kid. When my parents uh, they drove us to Florida one year, and this is more along the lines of uh, cryptids and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if you remember in the late '80s when there was a lizard man sighting, and I think it was South Carolina. I do remember that actually. Yeah, we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I so that. I was so excited to drive, to just to look out the window the whole time, and I was sure that if I just kept my eyes peeled, that uh, the lizard man would would make himself known. Didn't happen, of course. Yeah, I, yeah. Again, I had a similar childhood too, and and I I am also very fascinated by your love of horror films. And one of the reasons I asked the question about horror punk career is because um, I'm a real horror movie fan, and I actually run a, a horror film convention, or did until this year, uh, called Scaricon. So I've got my fingers deeply into the horror community. So I was, I was curious if if you had that interest in horror films, and it seems that you did, and I'm, I'm assuming you still do. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I this this year, I guess, just things have been so weird uh, that I find myself being drawn toward lighter things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming that kind of once uh, the world writes itself, that uh, I'll be right back in it. But yeah, I, some of my, my favorite films of all time, I just and, and books for that matter, are, are the things that uh, kind of scare the hell out of me. And I hope you're right about things uh, turning around, and I hope it happens rather soon because we've had a long, tough year as this thing sure continues. Man. Um, 
So with paranormal experiences yourself, have you, have you had any, like, did you live in a haunted house? You say the area that you live in now is kind of known for having a lot of paranormal activity. Is that all Bigfoot sightings? I know that that area of Pennsylvania has had some of that, or is it uh, ghostly stuff? What happens there? Mostly ghostly stuff. Well, we have, uh, you know, the Jersey Devil is right around the corner, so uh, he, it is is pretty big in this area. But Bucks County itself, um, it was, it's this kind of this neat little enclave um, right on the Delaware River, and it's very much an artistic colony. Um, but it's paranormal goings on date back to the Revolutionary War. So New Hope was was very close to Washington Crossing, which is where, of course, uh, Washington crossed the Delaware. And uh, so when after some of the battles, uh, Washington's troops would would uh, camp out in New Hope. There's actually a building there called the Logan Inn, and it's kind of an open secret that um, the place is is very much haunted. Uh, so the, his troops stayed there during the war. Uh, the basement was used as a morgue. And uh, so anyone, if you sit down at the bar back when you still could sit down at the bar and you would talk to, you know, the bartender or anyone who worked there, they have seen um, lots of stuff in that hotel. That's just, um, that's one example. There's uh, also New Hope. There's a, a very famous artist named Joseph Pickett, and his uh, ghost has been cited there many times um, He's got an interesting backstory. He was uh, he was a butcher and a carny and uh, all this other weird stuff that you wouldn't associate with uh, someone whose paintings uh, now hang in, in some of the most prestigious art museums in the world. But um, lots of things like that. Uh, I can I can go on, but uh, the, the I'll, I'll, I can go on with the story if you like. But there's. Um, a ghost called the uh, the White Knight, which is probably yeah, my favorite from my area. You no, know, tell the story. I find it fascinating. So the White Knight. So there's a few different versions of the story, um, but there's a place called uh, Holocon, which itself is a kind of a creepy name. So there's a place there called Gravity Hill, where it's you, know, you probably. There's, I'm sure there are places like it around the country where yep. you, know, you park your car and and kind and of rolls whatever uphill. force exactly drags yeah. you up the hill. Yeah. At the top of the hill is a church, and as of course, as, as a kid, you're told that this is a satanic church, and and uh, the the gravestones face the wrong way, etc. Right. There is a gravestone in that cemetery, uh, surrounded by a cage, and the legend is that you go up to this caged gravestone and you say, "I challenge the White Knight," and when you say that, the White Knight is supposed to appear, and you essentially race the White Knight out of the cemetery. So if you win, you get to live. Um, if you don't, um, you're supposed to die within, say, seven days. I think it's a really interesting um, legend. But the curious part is uh, when I was in high school, uh, it was my senior year, and there was a kid named Fred. I'll use his first name. And uh, he was at a party, and uh, you know they were doing things that kids do at parties and um, huffing butane and stuff like that. And... Uh, he was, you know, they were like lighting it, like so you'd like blow fire like a dragon, okay. and uh, it did not go well. He died, Ooh. and it was rumored that uh, he had been to that cemetery the week before and challenged the White Knight and lost. So I don't know the validity of that, but that's what people have been saying for twenty-five years. Bill, I love stories like that. I, those are the most those little local legends you know whether there's any truth to them at all is really irrelevant it's the story and how it thrives in a community in a region and um and then it's told like you just told us uh, you know the first time i've heard that story so I, I love that stuff yeah 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 so i've um i've had some i i've gone out and and seen that kind of stuff i've had some 
minor experiences in places where I didn't feel welcome or I felt, um, well, I guess unwelcome is a good way of putting it. Um, but uh, none that I've, none, no haunted houses I've lived in, but uh, certainly places where I've gone and I've haven't felt quite right. Have you wanted to have that kind of experience? Some people actually really want to come face to face with a ghost, or maybe it's an alien, or maybe it's a Bigfoot. You know, is, are, are you put yourself in that camp? I would be okay with okay. I'd be I'd be okay with experiencing anything like that for like a one time thing. My fear would be that something would come home. Um, I, I've spoken to, to some people that uh, you know have had those kind of hauntings, or even you know demonic entities. They say that have have, have followed them, chased them, made their lives hell. Um, so I'd be open to you know a one-time experience. I think I've had a few of those, but um, not something that uh, I would want to linger. Of course. Let's let's talk about demons specifically because uh, that's the focus of your of your new book, but. Um... You know, there are people that swear that these beings are real, they exist, they're in the world, and you need to be careful, and you need to watch what you do, you need to not be vulnerable to them. And then there are others that'll say, oh, you know, this is another figment of your imagination. Where do you fall? You know, it's a, it's a great question, and I probably would have given you a different answer um, a year ago. Um, I I was raised Catholic. Uh, I'm, I would say I'm agnostic now. I'm not really much of anything. Um, but, and I wouldn't have said I'm superstitious, but doing the, the kind of the research that I, I did for this book and just kind of my own interest, I find that, uh, like you said, I, I, I have an interest in this kind of stuff. Um, I don't invoke it. I don't antagonize it. I don't, uh, do anything like that, that, that I think would, like you said, make myself vulnerable. Um, so the logical part of me says, you know, there's nothing to worry about. But there's that kind of um, reptilian primitive part of me that says, "Be careful." Like tonight, I'll I'll walk outside my my basement door. I'll go into a darkened room, and I'll run up the stairs because of things <laughs> that I imagine are lurking in the dark. When it comes to demons and demonic activity, um, you know, there's a whole another level of threat there i mean seeing a ghost is one thing you know it may startle you it may scare you it, you know people would react differently i know i would be startled I've, I've i look for them all the time i was i've been a ghost hunter for a lot of years and when you're looking for them it's one thing when you're you know you just turn around turn the corner and you know your your deceased grandmother is standing there in front of you as much as you'd want to see your deceased grandmother it's fright you know it's startling um but when you start talking about demonic activity, it, you start to talk about intentions and motivations and what are they trying to do. And as we talked about earlier, it's generally not anything good. It's not positive. It's not constructive. It's all just the opposite of that. And so there's a whole different level of fear there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the things that I, well, I guess, yeah, we talk about that. I mean, it's, I mean, they call it, um, a spiritual disease, a disease of the spirit. This theory that you know this this thing uh, is is kind of an ailment that uh, just really is just like I said, it's going to it's going to take from you. Nothing good will come of it. Um, I've seen some research suggesting that not all demons are bad, or not not all demons have bad intentions. Um, I've seen some stuff that said demons are responsible for much of human culture or even religion, and that they they've kind of shared their knowledge with humans through through mating, like the, the incubus and the succubus. Um, 
Merlin. Merlin, he was the, the wizard from The Legend of King Arthur. Mm-hmm. He was said to be a Cambian, um, like a half-demon, meaning he had uh, a demon father and a human mother. And that's why that's what made him as powerful as he was. Now, you know, we can all talk anecdotally about being afraid of the dark. And as you said, you know, you leave your room, you're going to kind of rush past the dark area to go upstairs. Um, but do, we, do you and should we uh, genuinely feel fear demons and demonic activity is that something we should really be concerned with i guess yeah like you said i um it really depends on who you are um for for me um i i'm not going to mess with it i remember when i was a kid i you know i read the satanic bible i you know i messed around with the ouija board things like that and uh Mm -hmm. probably out of out of pure defiance or just to see what you can kind of get away with um but I don't know. Is there, is there anything to be gained by, by dipping your toe in that water? That, that's the way I look at it. So you're, basically what you're saying then is, um, you know, why risk it? Why, why mess around with something you don't understand? That's why it's, it's, that's, you know what I liken it to? Um, I like it to venomous snakes. I, I love snakes. I grew up loving snakes. I still do. And I have friends of mine who keep venomous snakes. And they're some of the most beautiful creatures on the planet. Uh, they're absolutely gorgeous. Um, and, and some of them can, can stop your heart inside of an hour. Um, me, I love to look at them. I love to read about them. Um, but I'm not going to keep them. Um, for, the, for the people that do, I, I guess I can kind of see the, the allure that you're, you're, you're tempting fate. In some cases, it's just for the adrenaline rush. Mm. Um, and you can be as careful as you want to be, but you're still dealing with something that's, that's not entirely within your control. So if if you play in that world with venomous snakes, uh, there's a there's a very good chance that somewhere along the line, no matter how careful you are, something's going to bite you, and and your life is is just never going to be the same. So I I kind of see it in that same way. Yeah, I'm not one of those people that takes those kind of risks. I you know uh, I'll take risks in the business world. I'll take those kinds of risks all day long. But when it comes to things like jumping out of airplanes, playing with poisonous snakes, or asking a demon to come say hello through a Ouija board, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do those things. Right, and it's interesting because this is not something I really gave much thought until like a couple of years ago, and I and I never really saw myself as a superstitious is not the word, um, but I never I didn't really think I was that affected, I guess, by by these kind of thoughts. Even thinking about it, to be honest with you, uh, it just gets heavy sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a constant discussion and in, in throughout all cultures and, and all of history, this good versus evil thing. Um, it's the constant struggle. It's it's the you know, it's it's the paradigm that we've really all grown up in. Uh, some of some of that is taught to us through religious practices, but some of it is just taught to us through culture. Uh, is is this discussion of demons part of that? Are demons the the evil that's versus good here that we're talking about? I, I suppose so. I mean, uh, in most cultures, like you said, uh, they're they're depicted as these malevolent beings. So, yeah. uh, if their sole purpose is to is to do evil, um, I mean, that's that's kind of what the, what they're there for. Um, it's interesting that uh, if you look, so if you look at demons, and again, if you're looking at it just in terms of pop culture, I think it's kind of interesting to see how they've they've evolved. So, again, you, you have uh, in books uh, like uh, the Screw Tape Letters from from C.S. Lewis. Uh, you know, these are just kind of simple-minded and 
or not, I'll say one single-minded, and uh, the, all they want to do is kind of just wreak, wreak havoc and do bad things. Uh, now you see in TV and movies, you have characters like Hellboy or, or, or Spawn or Ghost Rider right. that are either you know full demon or at least part demon. And these characters have both good and bad in them, the whole, the whole idea of the anti-hero. And sometimes they're, they're very likable because of that struggle. So at least in culture, it's interesting to see how, how they've, they've changed. It is interesting. And another thing that I, that's interesting, I'm not sure you have an opinion or any experience with this, but um, again, as somebody who was involved in a, a paranormal reality show for a lot of years, uh, I've noticed that many of these other paranormal reality shows are going to the demonic possession exorcism you know, episodes uh, to uh, for, for ratings and um, excitement, I guess. Do you think that's dangerous? And do you think it maybe, it maybe uh, downplays the real... Uh, threats that these types of things, if they're genuine, uh, propose? I guess it depends on the outcome, right? Um, it, I mean, it's... I Have you seen the film uh, with The Devil and Father Amorth? I absolutely, yeah, I have. I've watched that. Mm-hmm. He so just I passed thought, away recently, didn't he? Yeah, not so long ago. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I thought that was interesting, to, and I think his take is showing that kind of stuff is useful in that it it opens your eyes to to what is possible for people who either don't believe in it or don't think it's real. Um, that you know that that film contains a, a lengthy what is a, a supposedly a, a true exorcism. That's right. And and in, in the film, I mean, honestly, it, it, the film did not change my mind either way. Um, it didn't really make me believe that it was real or was not real. It uh, it was. It was much tamer than what you see in, in Hollywood or maybe even in some of the shows you're talking about. Right. Um, but I think it's interesting to have the conversation. Um, so is it a danger? Yes, I think probably if it's, if it's glamorizing it. Or I'm not saying if it's dangerous, but if it's glamorizing it or if it's, um, I don't know. Well, I have I have a lot of uh, skepticism as to any of the ones that I've seen on television. And that film aside, I'm talking about these you know these weekly programs uh, that a bunch of people go to check out a, a, a haunted house and and then they stumble upon a demon and they have to do an exorcism. I, I I haven't seen anything in those that makes me think any of that is genuine. So I get concerned that they're they're setting an example for these amateur ghost hunters to get involved in something that if they actually come into contact with something that is legitimate, that is that is actually a demonic possession, they could get themselves if not physically hurt, spiritually hurt. Yeah. Yeah, it's um It'll be. I mean, I'll be curious to see when it happens. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, there's so many. There's so many things in this world that that we cannot explain. I mean, there. I'm very much open to the idea that that there could be a whole world that's beyond our touch that uh, we just have no understanding of. Um, so, like you said, if if that is true, and you do unlock something, then 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 what happens next? We're talking tonight with Bill Donahue. He is the author of a new book that we've been talking about tonight and we'll continue talking about. It's called Burn Beautiful Soul. He has other books to his credit. His website is wjdonahue.com. Bill, is that the best place for people to go to get information about the books and your work? That's perfect. You know, when I when I was looking at the website earlier, um, I mistakenly, not mistakenly, but just kind of was talking, you know, saying your name and stuff. And I kept saying Phil Donahue. <laughs> I bet you get that a lot. 
Uh, you know, it's funny. That was like the first insult that I got as a kid. I remember uh, just being a little kid in Catholic school and someone kid called me Phil Donnie who would be so upset. Oh, that's funny. Um, so if demons are here, if, if they actually are in this world, what is their purpose, do you think? And, you know, these are in some ways theology questions, but, you know, based on what your experience has been and, and maybe even how you've uh, how you've portrayed them in the book, what do you think they're here for? Well, if we believe what the, what what demonologists say, and then we believe what the, what a lot of the texts say, um, demons are are here to cause trouble and to, to separate us from God. If we believe that that's part of of, of their mandate, um, they're not here to do anything good. Um, in terms of what I wanted to convey with the book, um, again, I. It, <laughs> Partly, I wanted to make a character that, that I wasn't so terrified of, um, a, a demon that, um, and this goes to what we see in, in some degrees of pop culture, but um, demons that, that have a little bit more depth to, depth to them um, and that aren't maybe entirely bad. Uh, that, that can, so the, the, my character, he's um, Basil, he's, he's not here to help people, but he actually, he in some ways, helps people who, who are lost in some way. When you um, hear of stories of, of, and I'm sure you had to do a lot of research as you were writing the book, but you hear some of these reports of demonic activity, are, uh, do you think that a large percentage of these anecdotal stories that are passed around, um, and maybe it's even from the person who experienced it, uh, do you ever get concerned that this is a mis- misinterpretation of maybe something that's f- mental or physically uh, at, at play on, in a person's life? I do actually. I had a conversation recently with someone who um, had some significant experiences, and it was uh, both her and her husband. And uh, it, it was one of the situations where it actually wound up driving them out of the house. And part of me—that's the thing. It's like, what do you believe? Um, you want to take the person at their word and hope that they are are okay mentally. But I, that's something that um, it, it's definitely worth asking. Because, I mean, these are not experiences that everyone has. And I think that's the question. It's like, where, if it is real, then what determines that, that hand? How did that happen? How did this happen to me? That's the first question that anyone asks when something bad happens. Yeah. Why? So why did that happen to that specific person? So, yeah, I think that's, um, for, for a lot of people, when, when they hear about these things, uh, they say, well, that's, that that's not true. That can't be true. That's that's a lie. That person has mental issues. Um, it, it's, so, it's certainly worth asking. But um, how how? I mean, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I can't di- diagnose the person. Right. But it's uh, it's 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 a, it's a question worth asking for sure. It is a question worth worth asking. One of the things that has concerned me, and I don't know if you found the same experience, but. Um, it seems as though, and this might be changing, I think attitudes might be changing a little bit here, but it seems as though particularly the Catholic Church is a little hesitant to get involved with somebody who might go to them for help with something like this. They seem to have a lot of barriers to that, and I can understand them wanting to be careful about how they employ this type of thing, or even you know discuss it. However, if someone's calling, you know, asking for help, uh, regardless of what the cause of the problem is, it seems like you know they should want to get involved to help them figure out what that problem is. If it's demonic, they're the ones that have to deal with it. If it's something else, they might be able to help point the the, the victim to the right resources. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. I think in in some cases, I mean, it's almost like you can't deny that something is clearly wrong, and it's something unless the human brain is so powerful that that it can manufacture all these crazy things that could happen. I mean, clearly something is wrong. In some cases, cases it may be just the fact that uh, you know the the person is, is crying out and uh, needs help in some way, shape, or form, and has yeah. that this person has some sort of mental issue. Um, but but some of these things, uh, if if you believe. Uh, what has happened, what they've done, what they've said, it, it's almost impossible not, not to think that uh, something is clearly wrong. Some people would say that um, that demonic entities will prey on people that are, uh, you know, addicts in some fashion, or maybe destitute, or even some that are, in fact, uh, mentally ill in some fashion. Do you Have you found that in your experience to be true, or at least to be a valid theory? One of the one of the things I thought was interesting is again talking treating this as as a disease um, like like addiction or something like that as but as a spiritual disease. What I've heard from some theories is, is that demons kind of find someone who has some kind of we'll say an underlying condition, whether right. it's a mental addiction or something like that, and almost kind of hide behind that and and kind of uses that in in order to kind of get inside and to kind of be masked by what else is going on. And it's it's a vulnerability. It's like it's like a chink in the armor of your right. of your of your being and they find they use that uh, that weakness as a way um to either influence or even in some fashion. I don't use the word possess as in the as in possession, but p- to possess you. Um you know, it's it's really a it's kind of a it's it's a bit scary, it's a bit concerning, it's a bit nebulous because we can't identify this per se um but it's enough to fuel nightmare nightmares bill absolutely i um in it and this may be a stretch but what i find interesting is if you look at monsters in the world um we've had monsters throughout our history but now we kind of have names for all them things like great white sharks and grizzly bears and anacondas and stuff like that mm-hmm. things that were once once monsters but kind of science is classify them they understand them things like that um even something like like covid-19 which is something that we can't see with the naked eye but with the right tools we can um and again this may be a stretch but maybe we just don't have the right tools to see um these kind of entities and there's also theories that and you kind of touched upon this just a moment ago when you said maybe and i think you were being a bit facetious but i think you also know there might you know that people do uh, consider this as a possibility that the human brain might be so powerful and maybe parts of it that we don't understand and we certainly don't control consciously that could be creating or projecting some of this activity in a way and, and poltergeist activity is a perfect example of that um, do you see any credibility in the idea that maybe what we call demonic activity might actually be coming from within ourselves I do I think that's I think that's the big question um, like I said, I, I I I really find this stuff so interesting, and I sometimes have to kind of work hard to step away from it. Um, whether it's listening to happy music or watching something silly on TV like Friends or, or reading why, YA fiction or something like that, to kind of make sure that I'm out of that headspace. Uh, I'm not sure if you run into that because you touch on a lot of these different things that that take it all strange parts of existence so uh, i'm not sure if you could do stuff like that to kind of decompress from from the weird stuff that you interact with and have seen but uh i I think it's it's important to kind of keep your mind right bill 
<laughs> our parallels continue to mount up. Friends is my go-to show when I need to to lighten things up. I watch Friends and I find myself laughing hysterically. And yep. I think I know every line in every episode pretty much. Um, yep. We've got a couple questions lined up here in in uh, our chat room, and I want to ask them for our chat chatters uh, before we continue on here. One of the questions we kind of touched on this, but um, Android asks: Have you found some that there are some religions that won't help? people with demonic problems apparently android has seen this reported on some uh, eyewitness shows hmm. um i well you touched on um kind of the high bar for like catholics for that for that matter right um some people some in some cases it takes the church a lot to, to really get behind that um i i've heard from i i don't want to i don't want to pick on any religions or anything like that um but i i have heard about some religions that uh, are not very permissive, I guess I will say, or, or really just exactly what, what Android is saying. Um, but again, I don't want to pick on anyone yeah, yeah, no, religion-wise. But uh, yeah, I, I have seen things like that, but I have I do think it is a pretty high bar. You know, one of the things that, that has often been discussed, too, as it relates to this, is that, you know, this increase in, in uh, what we're seeing as reported demonic possessions, whether it's an individual possessed or a home possessed, um, a lot of people will say, well, that's the Catholic Church promoting that because they want more people coming to church and being afraid of these things. Hmm. That's a legitimate argument. I can see why someone might might think that or, or, or propose that idea. However, I do still think that, uh, and again, particularly the Catholic Church, and I'm Catholic, so you know, I feel okay talking about this stuff in this fashion. Um, they seem very, very hesitant to, to not just identify that is is what a problem might be, but even hear someone talk about it, and maybe that's just a local thing. I don't know. It is an interesting line that um, I because I, I grew up in a Catholic family too, uh, but it is an interesting line that uh, that that the church walks um, because, like I said, you're, you're talking about these things that the, basically that the evil is trying to to break down the door, so to yeah. speak. Um, but when it happens. Or when it allegedly happens, then then it becomes like, well, let's take a step back here and, and make sure that's you know really, 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 really make sure that's what it is. I mean, it seems like if the if the Catholic Church wanted more people showing up for church on Sunday, they would be instilling the fear of demons all over the place. But that's certainly not happening, and I'm glad it's not. I'm just I just it seems like if that was their objective, that's what they would be doing. Um, yeah. an- another question here from our chat room, or is it? Um, uh, what are your thoughts on Alistair Crowley and um, or Crowley, and are his demons still around? <laughs> He's a, a fascinating character, um, and I probably have not read as widely as as I should have. But uh, that, that's well, the, the the whole the whole theory on demons is that they they can't be destroyed. Um, so if we're talking about actual the actual kind of spiritual demons, um, if if they once were, they always will be. Is it dangerous to to dabble with this? I mean, we talked about somebody, you know, taking on risks by playing with an, a Ouija board or or you know, tempting demonic activity, whatever happens. To you. But in general, you and I are just having a conversation about this. You wrote a book where this is a central theme. Do you think that's dangerous? Any of this? So, I try for with this book. I try to steer away from 
the things that that uh, that I read about and the character that I, that I wanted to make. There's actually a lot of humor in the book, which uh, which is probably me trying to kind of make this more palatable or make a character that I wasn't quite scared of or maybe just uh, something like that. But as I said to you earlier, I just I don't invoke things or invite things or put myself in a position where I think I'm going to be vulnerable. Um, I, I think it depends on what you what you believe is true. Um, I, I'm not going to go out of my way to, to poke something in the eye. Um, I, I've heard some people say that even talking about this kind of stuff is, is right. not dangerous, but a, a vulnerability. Right. But um, I, I try to surround myself with positivity and not that I'm a light worker or anything like that, but I try to surround myself with positivity and light otherwise. Um, but, um, so, and, I, and I'll take a break from this kind of heavy stuff when, when I think I need to. There was a period, I think it actually happened a couple of times, uh, right after the film The Exorcist uh, was released and uh, became very successful. And then again, I think it was in, was it in the 80s, mid-80s, the Satanic Panic? Yep. Um, and it was a period where, uh, you know, American society particularly became very, very concerned about Satan worshipers and, and demonic activity. And, you know, we had we had, uh, you know, groups of kids that would call themselves Satan worshipers and then and they would be you know dressed goth. And there was a whole, you know, subculture going on related to this stuff. Do you know if that hit that? subculture exists with the same vibrancy as it did back then is it bigger is it smaller is it is it dangerous do we have to worry about uh you know animal pets being sacrificed in our neighborhoods any any information on that in america it seems like that really has has died down that we have bigger problems to deal with now uh if you go someplace if you go to uh, like scandinavia and stuff like that with that where the whole like black metal scene is still really big mm-hmm. um i, I think and there's been cases where people involved in that scene have committed murders, burned down churches, um, done not very nice things at all. Um, so in that sense, I, I think, you know, the black metal scene is, is very much alive. Um, and both, back when they still had tours and stuff like that, you'd still see them popping up in America and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, the, I mean, to see, like, metal bands and stuff now, it just it doesn't seem to have any of that same stuff going on. And it's rare to even see someone with long hair these days. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We've seen uh, this particular topic addressed in pop culture. You mentioned a few, uh, what we would call heroes, anti-heroes that are of demonic origin that have made pop culture seen recently and become somewhat popular. How has it changed over the course of year of the years? I mean, I, you know, those earlier, the black and white horror films that I love that uh, touch on this demonic uh, idea portrayed in a very what we would consider, I guess, to be a, a, a religious way. You know, the, the religious definition of all this stuff. How how has it changed over the course of the years? What are we looking at now? It's interesting. I don't. It seems like we really can't escape the religious aspect of things as it relates to, to demons. Uh, that goes back to one of your earlier questions. But what I what I find most interesting uh, about how demons are portrayed is that we're seeing a lot more humor involved. And this goes back to maybe just making light of the things that we're afraid of. But I think the characters like, I think like the the Satan character in South Park. (laughs) I was going to mention that one. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So pretty much uh, all the characters from the Bruce, from the Bruce Campbell films, like evil dead Two, army of darkness. um, This is the end, which is that movie about the rapture and hell on earth. 
Um, Dogma was a big one. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that film. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. There was the the Gol the Golgothan or Golgothan who was like the poop demon, which I thought was actually really cleverly done. But um, just a lot more things where you're almost kind of poking it in the eye. We have been treated to a lot of, um, well, maybe not a lot, but some blockbuster films that talk about this stuff. And I mentioned um, The Exorcist. Rosemary's Baby is another one that, that you know, has, has this component in as well. Um, you met, just mentioned some, some, some others. Uh, did you mention your favorites or do you have others that you really like that you think address this in not just a, a, a meaningful way but in an entertaining way? Uh, in terms of films or books or both? Let's talk about both. Okay. Um, I just I just read Rosemary's Baby um, last year. It was a beautiful book, really well done. Um, one of the books that I thought was most interesting, um, and it was more on the humor line of things, it was uh, Practical Demon Keeping from Christopher Moore. Uh, he's uh, He writes across genres, in, including horror, um, but he does a good job of, uh, of kind of making light of that. Um, one of the most interesting books I read just recently is uh, is called Ring Shout, uh, R-I-N-G-S-H-O-U-T, and it has to do with the, the the Ku Klux Klan and essentially suggesting that uh, that there was kind of a demonic infiltration into that organization, and that's what what made them do uh, the, the really terrible things that they did. Um, probably the the best book that I've read recently about this stuff is uh, it's called The Summer That Melted Everything from a woman named Tiffany McDaniel. And it's one of those books where you're not really sure whether it's actually a demon or not, but it's uh, it's just really well done. You mentioned uh, you mentioned organizations. Did you uh, get any depth into the idea that maybe the Nazis had some type of um, satanic worship or any kind of uh, demonic uh, aspirations? Um, you know, it's often said that Heinrich Himmler himself was very much into occult ideas and uh, looking for those type of spiritual connections. Do you ever, ever find anything out about that during your research? That's absolutely uh, just a fascinating aspect of everything, and, and, and you've seen so much of that covered, even in things like uh, like Hellboy, is essentially when they, they open the portal and right. try to kind of unleash the old ones and stuff like that. Um, I think that's absolutely fascinating. Um, and it, it, I, my wife, actually, she has uh, kind of a fascination with that kind of stuff, with uh, kind of all the horrible things that happened in World War II and um, with the, the concentration camps and everything, yeah. just awful, terrible things. Um, but, uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to, to see, I think, kind of evil attracts evil, or evil feeds off evil. So uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all if that actually really happened the way it did. One of our uh, listener questions here in our chat room is about shadow people. And the Hat Man. These are paranormal phenomena that we've talked about on the program uh, specifically and had entire shows dedicated to each of those topics. Some people think there's a demonic connection. Did you come across any of that in uh, in researching the book? And what are your thoughts on it, if you have? I don't have too many strong thoughts on uh, those. I mean, is essentially are these do the, the, the shadow men, do they typically... Do they cause a lot of like tremendous harm and things like that, or is well, it something that's what 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 you know? I've seen shadow p- 
people, I'll, I'll call them, um, in some of our paranormal investigations. I've actually encountered these things, and they're just and they they seem very benign. They 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 seem to be onlookers more than anything else. But the Hat Man stories that we've gotten, and I've never had this experience, but uh, the Hat Man has a far more nefarious presence, and uh, it tends to show up in your in your bedroom when you're asleep, standing at the end of your bed. It's always described the same way. It looks like they're wearing some kind of formal hat. And if you get any more glimpse of that, it's usually a shadow type. You, you know, you see a silhouette, um, but sometimes you'll see like formal wear, like it's wearing a tux kind of thing. Um, and it, it comes with a real sense of foreboding. So um, those are the stories that, that I've heard regarding the hat man. And um, there's actually a, a couple of good uh, documentaries on, I think I saw one on Amazon Prime recently about the hat man that, that tells this uh, story pretty well. Uh, but they seem to have the more um, sinister presence. I uh, I just heard a story about that from someone who, who claimed to have has seen a hat man. I actually, uh, she didn't refer to it as a hat man per se. But uh, this is some someone or something that, that made its presence known, gave its name, um, made an offer um, which she declined, and uh, things got really bad after that. Oh wow! Um, I, I was actually—it was a, a chilling story, and I—it's one of those stories where I kind of had to, to stop thinking about it because it was—I uh, was losing sleep over it. Is this someone that you knew, or someone that you you've met along the way? Uh, someone I met along the way. Wow! It's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy stuff. It's just one of those things where, like I said, uh, how does if if it really does happen? Uh, who, how, how does it happen? How, yeah. why does it happen? Why you, why me? Right. Yeah. What's, yeah, what's happening in your life that you're not aware of maybe that is uh, creating this opportunity for that entity. So back to the book, uh, Burn Beautiful Soul. You said it was released just a couple weeks ago. It hasn't been out long. Um, how long did it take you to write it? And obviously these things have kind of been building in you for a long time, uh, you know, with your interest in the paranormal, your interest in horror movies, and your interest in demonic uh, topics. So you brought it all together and uh, talk about the process of writing it. Uh, sure. It's uh, actually, I, I had the idea probably first around 15, 15 years ago. And uh, when I, I first thought of it, it was kind of almost a joke. I, I imagined, um, a demon working in an office, uh, wearing a, a a short sleeve white shirt and like a bolo tie, <laughs> fixing copy machines, uh, and that 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 idea just stayed with me. Um, but I never really knew what the story was. Mm-hmm. So my wife and I we were on vacation in New Hampshire, and uh, just every morning I would get up and and over the course of a week I just fleshed out the story, and uh, realized that it wasn't a human. I mean, there, there's humor in the book, but uh, it, I realized it wasn't a comedy piece. It was something something much much different than that. So uh, that was in May 2015, and I, I finished the first draft in uh, October 2017. Yeah, it's quite a process. Um, what do you hope people, after they read this book, uh, walk away with? Is it purely, do you want them just entertained, or are you hoping they get a bit of a message out of it as well? Uh, I would hope that that uh, so I think there's a lot of it's going to sound really cheesy, um, but uh, so I, I wanted it's kind of a book about second chances, and um, if you're anything like me, you've gone through things in your life that uh, made you kind of question who you are and uh, why you did things that you did. So um, to me, it's a book about second chances, and um, so yeah, he's a, he's a demon. Basil is a demon, but uh, he experiences humor. He experiences romance, tedium, 
uh, all that kind of stuff that uh, make up the human experience. So, I mean, hopefully it's uh, people will be entertained by it, but, but hopefully there is something more that they'll come away with. Now, you've got some other books listed here on your website, Too Much Poison, Filthy Beast, Brain Cradle. Tell us about these as well. Sure. Um, so Brain Cradle was the first. That one's more straight horror. Um, Filthy Beast came next. Um, that's uh, that's hard, too, but then it that's kind of when I started reading things like uh, John Updike and John Irving and things like that that are, are a little bit more um, real-world problems that uh, that can turn into horrors. And uh, too much poison is, um, I, I say that's my... Um, that's my uh, nervous breakdown book. Nervous so it's breakdown a little bit of everything. <laughs> Do you say that in the sense that it hel- it, it was a, something you were going through in your life at the time, or are you saying the book itself is kind of like a nervous breakdown? <laughs> it was uh, things going on in my life. Um, you know, my marriage was not going well. My mm-hmm. career kind of tanked, and uh, there's some other things going on in my life that uh, that I, I hadn't really dealt with. So um, that was the result of a lot of those things coming together. And that was the outlet for it. Boy, something something about art, something about, and I know that you know I've gone through tough times as well as we all have, and I find my my uh, outlet for that is writing music. You know, it, it's something about creating art is is, is uh, therapeutic when you're going through a tough time. Um, so with Burn Beautiful Soul, the title itself is a bit curious. How'd you come up with the title? So uh, Basil, the, the, he, the main character, he's um, he's actually a poet as well. And uh, so the the book, it's funny, I, I've heard some authors say that they didn't really know what the book was about until they heard people tell them. Um, I went through something similar, but as after reading the first draft, I didn't realize quite how how Catholic of a book it was. Meaning, um, my Catholic upbringing probably informed formed it more than than I expected it to. Um, so when I when I finished going through it, um, it really does hit on a lot of the themes that I was exposed to as a, as a kid going to Catholic school. Um, it I think it diverges wildly from what we're taught about heaven and hell and and about who ends up where. But I think the warnings about sin and, and punishment and things like that are maybe a little more front and center. So it's essentially about, uh, you know, a beautiful soul is, uh, to me is someone who is, is a good person. His heart has maybe made some mistakes. Um, and the burn part is that uh, even though you may be a good person because uh, you've done certain things or maybe you haven't said the right things or, or whatever, then you're going to burn for all eternity. The book is available. We mentioned your website. You've got them all listed there. Uh, where else can people find Burn Beautiful Soul? Uh, so my website is a good place to start. Uh, of course, you can find it on uh, Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, the websites of uh, you know independent bookstores. And for you know uh, the folks that are still going into bookstores, um, hopefully you can find it on the shelves there too. And I think now, Bill, we both have to retire and go watch some friends to get this heavy monkey off our backs that we just put there uh, in this conversation. But no, I, seriously, I, I, good luck with the book. I appreciate you being on the program tonight. It was a fascinating chat. Look forward to having you back on. JV, I really appreciate the time. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.